Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, welcome back. Second hour of the show. In just a few moments, we'll talk with Andrew Kahn from MLive.com about Michigan basketball. They come into the Jordan Center ranked sixth in the nation. And yes, they are playing the game today, even though there were no classes today. In fact, the university reopened at six, is going to reopen at six this evening. So since the reopening at 6 this evening, game is going to be on anyway. Uh, Michigan's here. I mean, they got here yesterday. In fact, they practiced today uh, at the Jordan Center earlier. Uh, so, I mean, they're here, so you're going to play. TV people are here, so you're going to play. And there's no Shikolimi wrestling tonight. So our air time will be 8 o'clock tonight. Uh, Dick Girardi will join me at the Jordan Center. And 8.30 is the tip-off as the Nittany Lions take on Number six, Michigan, which is 22-2 and two on the season. And coming off an impressive win over Wisconsin on Saturday in a game where Michigan committed a grand total of nine fouls. That's not for a half. That's for the game. All right. Let's get to our play-by-play call today. Let's give Virginia a lot of credit. They played at home and lost on Saturday night to Duke. Well, less than 48 hours later, They had to go and play again on the road at North Carolina. Not a good recipe. Yet last night, down the stretch, they found a way to win, in part because of the outstanding shooting of Kyle Guy. The likelihood of winning it again, not good. Guy bumped, and he made the shot! A chance for four for Kyle Guy! What a player. North Carolina needed a stop. Kenny Williams trailing the play, trying to get pressure on that shot. And Kyle Guy goes straight up. Looked like he leaned into Williams a little bit to draw that foul, but still able to knock it down. What a big-time player he is. Minute 10 to go in the game. He knocked that down, and Virginia beat North Carolina 69-61 to last night in Chapel Hill. And Virginia has now gone more than two years without losing Back-to-back games. How impressive is that? All right. Uh, Duke is in action tonight. They will take on Louisville. And, of course, there is the Michigan-Penn State game coming up. Hey, how about uh, Bucknell last night? Beat Lehigh 87-75. to Orange out at Soika last night. Also last night in overtime, Kansas beat TCU 82-77. And it was Baylor uh, downing Oklahoma 59-53. So those are the games last night. A big win for Bucknell last night, beating Lehigh by a dozen at Soika. Big win. All right, Penn State basketball coming up tonight in the Jordan Center as the Nittany Lions take on number 6 Michigan. Andrew Kahn covers Michigan for MLive.com. He will be in the Jordan Center tonight because he does, as a beat writer, cover them on an everyday basis. Andrew, what a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it very much. Steve, happy to be here. Obviously got off to an incredible start. I don't think anybody was playing better basketball in November and into December than Michigan was. Has anything changed for them over the past four weeks? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I think, I think you know, other teams maybe have, 
have caught up a little bit. Michigan got a head start by, uh, you know, they had had their an overseas trip uh, before the season. Um, they had several returning starters. They had a uh, good grasp on their rotation. Um, so, yeah, other teams were still figuring things out probably in November and December, more so than Michigan was. Uh, you know, there's been there's been some regression offensively, although I think that's, you know, skewed just by the fact that they had some some real good performances early. Um, you know, and those were games that probably you you and many fans around the country are familiar with, you know, the Villanova game, the North Carolina game, Purdue game. These are nationally televised games against ranked teams uh, that they really lit it up. Uh, so since then, there's been, you know, there's been a step back a little bit offensively, but, you know, the defense has remained elite. Um, I don't think there was any, you know, real thought that they were actually going to go undefeated, not in this Big Ten. Um, so they've taken a, taken a couple of losses, but uh, they still remain, you know, on, on top of the Big Ten for now and uh, looking really good. They are a low-possession team. They're also a highly efficient team. Uh, do they keep that margin, though, a little bit tight because they are a low-possession team? Yeah, no, that's a good point, Steve. And, and yes, um, you know, I'd say – you know, even in their some of their blowout wins earlier this season, it, it took time to build to that, you know, 15, 20 point lead, um, you know, because, again, they just wouldn't be running up and down the floor, um, you know, running and gunning and just putting up huge, huge point totals. So, you know, the games were more like 65, you know, 50, uh, as opposed to, you know, getting up into the 90s. So it, it takes some time. Um, in the At the end of the day, I don't think that's necessarily a, uh, you know, lower margin for error you know, come come tournament time, say, you know, I think it probably makes makes it more important that you don't get off to a, a bad start in any game. But, uh, you know, uh, the flip side would be that they they really value the ball. They don't turn it over. Um, you know, and, and again, they just they, they lock people up. So even when there are some scoring droughts on their end, uh, you know, their their lead kind of remains the same because the other team's not scoring either. Xavier Simpson, to me, is an outstanding defensive guard, and I think he does a great job of running that team. We all know that one of the issues for him is he's not a great shooter. His three-point shooting is not great, and traditionally his free-throw shooting has not been great. So in other words, four minutes to go in a game, foul him. They were running sets last year where he was the guy that was furthest down the court, not the big man. But now he's hit 11 of his last 12 free-throws at what do you think that has now meant to the dynamic of the Michigan team? Because it sounds like he's now finally started to settle in at the free throw line for the first time in his career. No, absolutely, and, and you know Charles Matthews uh, too. The overall numbers you yeah. know aren't aren't great for those two guys, but they're they're trending in the right direction, like you said. Um, and yeah, you you want your point guard out on the floor uh, in crunch time, um, especially because of, you know what he does defensively, like you said, and you know he's their primary ball handler. Um, you don't want to you know shy away from him. Now there's still times where they'll they'll use him to take the ball out. And, uh, you know, there's guys like, say, Jordan Poole that they'd still rather go to the line. He, he's above 80 percent. Um, but he's no longer this, this major liability uh, that you can't have uh, on the floor, which, you know, kind of was the case uh, at times last year. There's been no no real mechanical tweak uh, this season that, that you know, we, we've seen. It's been it's been mental. You know, there's been some. uh I don't want to go as far as saying hypnosis, but there's been some visualization um, and a lot of. Uh, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, confidence building uh, in the mind uh, for, for Simpson and some of these other Michigan players, and it's it's paid off. All right. I've only seen him once in person. I thought he was fabulous. Uh, what has Iggy Brasdakis meant to what Michigan's doing this year? Yeah, they don't bring in too many freshmen that have just a huge impact right away, you know, for as many uh, – 
first-round draft picks as Michigan has had since John Beeline came to Ann Arbor. Um, you know, many of them took took a few years to develop. Um, you know, there was the the team that went to the the national championship in 2013 that had you know a nice a nice freshman crew, but it, even those guys were sort of secondary pieces to you know Trey Burke and, and Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, but uh, Brasdakis Iggy, as they call him, has just you know stepped right in from day one and been a starter. Uh, he's physically built for Big Ten basketball. Uh, he, he could play you know inside or out. Um, he is on a little bit of a you know he's a, he struggled against Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin yeah, the two but... games against them, and that's who they're coming off. But I mean, again, they, they you know they didn't. They still won the game uh, on Saturday, you know, with him only scoring two points overall. He's still their leading scorer. Um, he's up there in rebounds. Uh, you know, he's an efficient player. So if his if his outside shot is is falling, uh, he's a real tough tough cover. You know, especially at that sort of I don't want to say undersized. He's still six seven. You know, two hundred plus pounds. But you know, he's not your bruising uh, you know power forward. Um, so he's sort of an uncomfortable cover for for guys that don't like to be you know chasing around the perimeter and, and trying to stay in front of them. Yeah, he's had seven twenty point games this year. He has uh, been a great difference maker off the bench. I mean, no offense to Michigan, but they really only have one bench player. I mean, yeah, they'll play Brandon Johns a couple minutes. Yeah, I got it. Austin Davis every once in a while will come in. I got it. But Livers is the one guy that actually is the one bench player. And in the NCAA tournament, it's not going to matter because right. unless you get in foul trouble because the timeouts are longer. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Uh, but what has Livers meant, and what kind of steps has he taken this year? Well, sort of big picture first would be, you know, you're absolutely right. It's, there's two two reasons that could come into play. is, is foul trouble within a game, which we, we did see uh, in one of Michigan's two losses at Iowa. Or, you know, if there's an injury, uh, then then they could be in some trouble. But otherwise, John Beeline is perfectly fine having, you know, six or, or seven guys. There is Eli Brooks. He, he's up there. You know, he, he's, he's sort of a, he could play either guard spot uh, for Michigan now. You know, what they've gotten from Simpson and Poole, he hasn't been as important. But Livers is, uh, you know, Beeline calls him their Swiss Army knife. Uh, he's six seven, but and he, he's more of a. He sees himself as a as a small forward, maybe at the next level. But he plays primarily, uh, you know, the power forward and even center spot. You know, when Michigan wants to go small ball, uh, he's, you know, for uh, he's super athletic, and yet, you know, he's he's a good three point shooter. He's over forty percent from from three, so he really comes off the bench and gives you gives you whatever you need. You know, outside shot. Um, he's good in transition, and again, he can defend multiple positions. That's the key. So he's sort of. You know, you say you only got six to seven guys, but he's kind of three guys in one because of how many positions he can play. So, uh, yeah, he's been key. I mean, that's why you'll see teams, they'll reduce their rotations to seven sometimes when they get to postseason. The timeouts mm-hmm. are longer. So if you stay out of foul trouble, you're all right. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean yeah. that's to me, that's the bottom, bottom line to it. Uh, when you look at uh, how cohesive they are defensively, what sticks out about that? I know it's the no fouling part. Mm-hmm. And they only committed nine the other day. Uh, total. Not nine and a half. Total. Nobody right. had more than two. What do you see from them defensively? Why are they number one in this league? They do, you know, they play They play the analytics game. And that's, you know, not uh, not try to give limit three-point attempts. Uh, you know, there's a thought of whether, you know, a three-pointer, once it leaves the hand, whether you really have much uh, uh, control over whether it goes in. So they try to limit attempts. Um and then, you know, force tough two-point shots without fouling. 
Um, and, you know, you mentioned Simpson, what he is defensively. So he, he sort of sets the tone by taking, you know, the other team's point guard. Uh, but then they've got Matthews on the wing, who's an elite, you know, wing defender. So, you know, you got a guy like, you know, they play Indiana. He can, he can sort of shut down Romeo Langford. Say. He's long. Uh, he's very he's long. He's long, long. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, the, the real difference maker from last year would be John Teske at the center spot. Yeah. I mean, a, a true seven footer, uh, who just, you know, uses, uses all, every bit of that. Um, you know, he wall, they call it walling up. Um, so, you know, just, you've got that, uh, the rule where you can, you know, the guy can jump straight up as long as he doesn't bring his hands down. And when he does that, um, you know, geez, it's hard to even see the basket if you're an offensive player. So, uh, you know, he's not just a rim protector, but he, he moves his feet well and, and, and ball screens. Um, so, geez, and then and then they get back on defense and transition. They don't send too many people to the offensive glass, so you're not really getting easy ones. Uh, and and again, they're not turning it over, so you're not you're not right. getting those live ball. Uh, uh, you know, situations where you're trying to turn defense into offense. So, you know, you look at all those things, um, and it's no wonder why, you know, I think, I think they're ranked second, uh, you know, in the efficiency ratings defensively. Yeah, they're number one in the league and second overall in the country in that department. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned John Teske. He's coming off a career day, a career, mm-hmm. e- a career equaling 17 points and a career equaling 12 rebounds, and did that against Ethan Happ. What yep. have you seen offensively in his development? Uh, you know, they're letting him uh, shoot threes now. So he, he's, he's not, you know, uh, guys who watch Michigan in the past couple of years, he, he's not his predecessor, Mo Wagner, uh, you know, shooting threes, days five, six a game and taking guys off the dribble when the closeout is too hard. Um, but he'll, you know, he'll take a couple of games. Um, he, you know, he hit one against uh, Wisconsin the other day. Um, and then, you know, he can make that mid-range jumper as well. Um, and he's not a guy they're going to throw throw the ball into, you know, 15 times a game at the block and let him go to work. Uh, but he, you know, he cleans up with offensive rebounds and you know, he spaces the floor. He's he's a he's a fifth guy who's not. Uh, you know, their other four guys can all all play. You know, with the ball in their hands, he, he's not going to be doing that. But he he is a he's a, enough of a shooter uh, that teams have to respect him. Uh, you know, if they don't. Uh, say uh, there's a game against Northwestern earlier this year. They just said we're not really going to guard him as a three-point line. He had three of them, um, and uh, yeah, that's that's just so so huge when you've got five guys on the floor that can all shoot from outside. It really stresses uh, defenses. You mentioned in a previous answer live ball turnovers. In the end, that was the difference I thought between Penn State and Michigan in Chrysler. Live mm-hmm. ball turnovers. Penn State turned it over 18 times in that game. And several ended up being live ball turnovers that opened up the margin. Since then, Penn State has played one one possession game after another, it seems, except for Wisconsin mm-hmm. and Michigan State. What are your thoughts on Penn State? Yeah, I mean, that, that absolutely was the difference. Uh, you just can't do that against Michigan because they're not going to do it. Um, and right. their offense is exactly. not, you know, it's not elite yet. So, geez, that's your chance to beat them is to make them play, you know, five on five in the half court. Um, and, you know, try to just grind out a, a low-scoring game against them. Um, so, yeah, we need to turn it over 18 times. And, again, like you mentioned, just the live ball, that, that's, just, that's just critical. Um, and they couldn't, they couldn't buy an outside shot in that game either, if I recall. The, the one make was, was a bank. Yes, um, it was. Banked in by uh, Miles Dredd. Yeah, there you go. And then, you know, uh, Lamar Stevens, I mean, I believe Matthews was on him. He's going to take that matchup personally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he got his points, but I think he took – you know, he took a fair amount of shots to get there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, Watkins inside again, he, he, he got his efficiently. I mean, that's the one thing like, you know, Michigan's strategy, generally speaking, is they don't like to double team in the post. They like John Teske and they, you know, they'll give up two pointers 
to avoid, uh, you know, double teaming and now the ball is popping around and, and the threes start rating in. So, you know, John Beeline has sort of built his career offensively on the fact that three is more than two. Uh, and, you know, yeah. the last few years they've, they've figured it out defensively as well. Um, so, yeah, I guess the other thing I note from that game is Livers did not play in that game. Uh, and it didn't matter because they, 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 you know, avoided foul trouble. But Livers, Livers was hurt for that one. Um, and he's now back. So that'd be, that'd be one different piece that Penn State fans would, you know, might not have seen. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't, can't disagree with you about the turnovers. Yeah. And the three point thing, you know, I've talked about that before is quite simple. You take 18 shot, 18 twos, you make nine. That's 18 points. You've hit 50%. If I take 18 threes and make six thirty-three percent guess what? I still have 18 points. So, exactly. I mean, that, so that's when you see somebody at that 40% mark, you're really shooting. Hey, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it very, very much. It's terrific. Steve, thank you. I'll see you tomorrow night. Andrew Kahn, MLive.com, and he'll be in the Jordan Center tonight covering Michigan as they take on the Nittany Lion basketball team. 8.30 the tip-off tonight. And 8 o'clock will be the airtime here on the Penn State Sports Network and News Radio 1070 WKOK. One thing I, I want to talk about quickly about Penn State basketball and the job that Patrick Chambers and his staff has done holding things together. You keep going to the well so many times where it's one close game, one close game, one close game, and you don't get the result you want. And when you don't get the result you want, then suddenly things can fall apart. What's interesting is that I've been going to not just practices, but I'm going to film sessions with the team. It is amazing how you know they know what the deal is. They know what the record is. Yet there is no uh, issues with the coaching staff, no issues with the team, how they've really held it together. They believe that they're going to break through and and not only break through, but they're going to do something big before the season's out. That's what they believe. And as I've pointed out many times, I've been around teams that have lost consistently by double digits. I've been around teams that have lost five to ten times in a year by 20 points or more. Those teams are non-competitive. They aren't good. They may have some good players on them, but overall, they aren't good. doesn't take a genius to say that. This team is not that team. That's what's interesting about this. This team is not that team. I look at the job that James Franklin did in 14 and 15. Now, albeit he was in the infancy of his program at Penn State. But they did a great job, I mean, a great job under the circumstances of holding everything together. They were trying to battle through sanctions. They were trying to battle through scholarship limitations. They were, you know, there's, you know, they're trying to battle through, obviously, uh, trust issues with players who have gone through one coaching staff after another, which of course had never happened for four and a half decades here at Penn State. And they held it together. James Franklin and his staff held it together, and the key guys in holding it together were James and Brent Pry and Ricky Ronnie and Terry Smith. And Sean Spencer, you know, I mean, they helped hold it all together and made a big difference because they held it together. That's what Patrick Chambers and his staff have been able to do. 
I'm there. I see it. I'm in a film session. And I'm talking, when I'm in a film session, sitting there with them, believe me, okay, this is where the criticism can reign. This is where the players can pop off at each other about something. Absolutely not. Yes, coach. No, coach. Nope. That's me. I'm accountable for that. And they'll say things. Hey, Mike, you've got to do this, this, and this. Michael, you're right. I see it. They've held this together, which I find to be very interesting. Says a lot about them. Can they now find that possession? Okay, I didn't mean possessions, but can they find the possession to win the game? Find a possession to win a game. That's where they are. One possession. All right, we'll come back. Final half hour coming up. Great to have you with us today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. On News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, final half hour brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf with school closed today. No Shikalimi wrestling tonight. So Steve Williams gets the night off, and you'll be able to hear Penn State basketball tonight as the Nittany Lions take on number 6 Michigan in the Jordan Center. 8.30 the tip-off tonight. We're on beginning at 8 o'clock on News Radio 1070 WKOK and the Penn State Sports Network. So that's coming up tonight. Bucknell, big win last night. Beat Lehigh 87-275. Our thanks to Andrew Kahn, MLive.com, who joined us in the previous half hour on Michigan basketball. Now let's bring in our good friend Tony, not from the coast, where it's much nicer than here. Tony, welcome. Great to have you with us, as always. Yeah, Happy New Year. Haven't heard you guys since uh, last year now. And you know what? We're a year better now. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, We've gone through the college football playoff. You and I discussed before the uh, teams were even announced about uh, four versus eight. Now that they've gone through the four experience of this particular year, uh, the two semifinal games and the championship game, is there a stronger feeling or is it the same feeling about going four to eight among those who control money? Uh, the corporate sponsors want to go to eight. We know that for sure. We've had these conversations with them. The ones who control that side of the money want to go to eight. Uh, I, From what I'm told, um uh, it depends on who you're talking to at what conference. Some conferences are healthier than others. Uh, Jim Delaney's been one who's been a little bit more 
uh, diplomatic with his desires, and he's actually seeming to move towards expansion now for the Big Ten. Whereas, you know, the Pac-12, Larry Scott is—he he just doesn't have any political capital right now. The, they're not doing well economically. They're out there trying to raise some money from a private equity fund just so they can try to keep up with the Big Ten and the SEC. So. Given those factors, I think we would actually see that speed up a little bit more because it's creating an economic rift that's going to make it difficult for, you know, other conferences to compete. So, you know, as an example, if you play in the SEC, you receive a $15 million distribution every year because of your network deal. Uh, Pac-12 does not get that $15 million million more than what the Pac-12 gets right now. You're creating a haves and a have-nots. And so, and the ACC has the same problem, and the Big East is having the same problem. So, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that actually speed up a little sooner. I didn't realize how bad a shape the Pac-12 was in until this all got leaked out. But they've they've basically gone out to private equity money with a deck, laying out exactly how bad it is for them. And I think it might be in the interest of the SEC, the Big Ten, you know, the conferences that are successful in football to make sure that they're. Keeping the uh, keeping the competition afloat, uh, and that is something I've talked about before. Maybe not specifically with you, but the fact is that the Big Ten and the SEC have absolutely separated themselves financially mm-hmm. from the other three conferences. Why is the Pac-12 in the shape they're in? Because I don't care what Bill Walton, he can talk about the Conference of Champions all you want, and no offense, you can win all the swimming titles at Stanford you want, but people care so much about football and basketball, and right now the Pac-12 is not really a competitive conference in either. No, and, and you know, people care about football and basketball, but football is still four times the size of basketball. Uh, March Madness is, is a wonderful business experience for everybody. There's a ton of money, a multi-billion dollars. But if you're looking at the athletic departments and how they're allocating funds, you know, at any one of these major schools, football is anywhere from two to six times the allocation. And when you're talking about teams like a Clemson or an Alabama or an Ohio State, you know, teams who are spending anywhere between $39, $40 million a year and, and $80 million a year, now we're talking about a $15 million per year difference. Right. There are teams that have been in the playoffs that are doing it with $38 million a year budgets, and they're receiving a $15 million advantage payment that you're not seeing if you're in the ACC, if you're in the Big East, if you're in the Pac-12. And the problem you're running into out here on the West Coast is at least in the Big 12, at least in the SEC, or I'm sorry, the ACC and the Big East, you have programs that are thriving. In the Pac-12, you really only have USC and Oregon thriving, and Oregon's thriving because of private money coming from Uncle Phil. So right. <laughs> they, they, they signed a terrible television deal, a television deal that basically gave away their rights to you know, sell to the sponsors that they want and really get the expansion that they want. So while these other uh, conferences expanded into markets that would create more media rights and more sales, that's why you know, Rutgers is in the Big Ten now, you know, the Pac-12 expanded into Utah and Colorado, which are not major media markets. Neither one of them is in the top 30. Salt Lake City and Denver don't move the needle. So I don't know what the answer is, but people wonder, you know, what happened to the Pac-12 when it comes to football and when it comes to basketball. And basketball and football, it's, it's the TV deal. It's the Pac-12 network. The, the, the conference has been so poorly run that you're starting to see on the court there's just no real contenders. I mean, the Pac-12, if they didn't have an automatic bid, probably wouldn't even get a team into the basketball tournament this year. 
Exactly, and that's 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 part of the issue. We, we, uh, again, when Penn State played Washington last year, uh, Tony, I, I, mean, I know it ended up being a seven-point game, and I thought, no offense, but Penn State's not just better. They're a lot better than Washington, and mm-hmm. th- that it played out that way. Uh, why? Why? Yes, the Big Ten Network makes a lot of money for the Big Ten. SEC Network, courtesy of what ESPN puts into it, is doing fine. Why hasn't the Pac-12 Network caught on on the coast? And is it really, I mean, you're around the Dodgers all the time, so I guess should we be surprised by that? You know, it's it's not so much the ratings. The ratings are okay. And, and Larry Scott, the one thing you can defend Larry Scott on is Pac-12 after dark. The coaches hate it. So... I don't know how many listeners actually pay attention to Pac-12 After Dark out there because the game started at 11 o'clock Eastern time. But the idea being we're going to be the only show that's currently on. And it actually the ratings have been okay for that. But everything else just hasn't translated. You know, the Pac-12 was predicated on, you know, major teams in specific markets that were starting to create some kind of national interest, right? So you and I remember when Washington was good for a very long time. You know, Washington's sure. been good for a few years, the last three or four years. But for the decade before that, after William had them, they were terrible. And they weren't driving anything in what is basically the Pac-12's number three media market and nationally known team. Cal and Stanford haven't been in the conversation between a few blips here and there. And then, you know, look, the bedrock of the, pro- of, the, of, the, uh, of the conference when it comes to football is USC. And USC right. football hasn't been relevant in years. So... That's a problem. And what I think, what I'm really concerned about happening is I think USC is just going to leave the conference. There's no reason for them to stay. Where would they go? I think they'd have to go independent. They'd have to try to follow Notre Dame's lead and go independent when it comes to football. Every other sport, they're not, you know, they have a lot of championships when it comes to water polo and a couple of other, you know, non-revenue uh, sure. sports. But the revenue sports, you know, they're not basketball-wise. They've got a beautiful new venue that they have still, even when the team's good. But when it comes to football, if they can get their own network deal, if they can create their own scheduling that would be more national, it makes a lot of sense for them to be able to go out and schedule. You know, they already play Notre Dame, but, you know, you want to replace those games against Colorado, Utah, you know, Oregon State, games that just are not driving any national interest amongst recruits or anything else. If you can replace those with some, you know, trademark games like Notre Dame, now you're in business. You know, people a lot of times uh, talk about how Notre Dame and Swafford and what they've done there has made it very difficult for the football team to compete, but the football team's been in the final game or in the CFP twice now in the last five years. And if you look at what they're doing revenue-wise, they're able to compete with the major conferences. And with something, there's another element that adds into this that I think people should realize. There will be no state pressure on them to make a decision because they are a they are a private school. Private school, yeah. They they make they, they call their own shots. There is no state funding in anything. They own the Coliseum outright. When the Coliseum went broke, they bought it outright, so they own it. They're doing the uh, renovation on it with their own money. It's uh, it's one of those situations where if you're if you're sitting in, in charge at USD, if you're Lynn Swan, you know you've got a fifteen million dollar deficit right off the bat between you and Clemson and Alabama and Penn State and all these teams that you were competing with four or five years ago. Right. If you can bridge that gap almost automatically by saying, we're not going to play in the Pac-12 for football anymore, we're going to go do our own TV deal, and we're going to replace Utah, Cal, and you know Oregon State and Washington State with three, you know, we'll play a cupcake and then we'll play three 
um, well-known non-conference teams, you make up that $15 million pretty quick. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, what does it mean to Los Angeles that the Rams made the Super Bowl? <laughs> not as much as the NFL would like you to think. Uh, it's, it's really not. This is, this is the, the funny thing about what's happened over the last week with you know, the controversial calls in both games and teams getting left out. And I'm curious what the statute of limitations is on this. We saw that the Saints uh, are suing, <laughs> some fans are suing the league. So, hey, look, if that actually goes through, one of the Sacramento Kings is going to sue the NBA. But what, what's really <laughs> exactly, happening here was they seven. needed the Chiefs in that game, and they needed the Saints in that game, but they really, really needed the Chiefs in that game. The NFL owns a company that they've poured a ton of money into, you know, in partnership with a bunch of investors, including John Bon Jovi, where they sell tickets to the Super Bowl. So they've actually taken them back from the teams and back from brokers, and they sell them themselves. That company announced a month ago that they're on the block, that they are for sale. Right, they're kind of pretending that they didn't, but they put out, they made sure there was an article written, and they put out a price that nobody would pay eight hundred million dollars, and they really needed a strong Super Bowl, and the Rams is not a strong Super Bowl. The Patriots will do okay, but the Rams is not a strong Super Bowl, and even when you're looking at the playoffs here, you know the assumptions and the guesses that they're making out here are that you know thirty five percent of the building is competitive fans, even in the championship games. So when you're in the when you're in the division game. Uh, against the Cowboys, it's over a third Cowboys fans. Obviously, the stadium is still a year away. They're going to have to play another year in the Coliseum. Is there excitement in Los Angeles, the number two market, about this, or would there be more excitement about the Dodgers? I mean, or you know, or LeBron? What is it? A lot more excitement about the Lakers than there are the Rams. You know, the pecking order here. Um, you know, you've got pretty clear pecking orders everywhere you go, right? There's Penn State territory, there's, you know, Michigan territory, there's, you know, here the pecking order is very clearly Lakers first, right? That, that's what everybody right. wants. This is a Laker town. It used to be a Dodger town until the strike in 1994. Up until that strike, the Dodgers had 32,000 season ticket holders. After the strike, they had 8,000, the highest they've ever been since has been 14. So they never, wow. got, they never came back from the 94 lockout. You're looking at the Rams, the problem they're having, so they're, they're actually, believe it or not, doing pretty well selling the premium inventory. Right? Their suites are doing okay. So if you look at Las Vegas, Las Vegas is selling their suites on 10- and 15-year deals. They have 96 suites to sell. They've sold about 60 of them. That's not very good. Right? You only have two years left for the stadium. You want to be about 75, 80 suites sold. L.A. is doing better. Because you know, And they're doing 20-year deals. So the corporate money is coming here, which is why the NFL made the move. The problem is the NFL has to try to convince the rest of the country that L.A. cares. And if you look at the stadium during the games, they kind of don't. You know, their big showcase game was the night game against the Kansas City Chiefs, and they sold it out and had 75,000 people in the stands. You and I know the call season fits 90,000 people. That's right. Right. The yeah. sellout of yep. 75,000 wasn't a sellout. You tarped off 15,000 seats. USC right. sells 90,000 tickets. So they're trying to tell this story nationally. I'm not sure how well it's taking. In Los Angeles, we know it's bogus, right? We know if you want to go to the game, you can buy the ticket on the secondary market for cheap. And not only that, but it, you, 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 it does not take much to have an ear to listen if yeah. you know that a good chunk of the crowd is actually there for the other team. 
Chargers games are, are sometimes almost 70% the other team. I mean, it's, it's worse than the TV makes it look and sound. Uh, Rams games, yeah, it can be between 30 and 50%. When the Eagles come during the regular season, it's 50% Eagles fans. You can see it in the pictures. Okay, well, now, now I want to flip it over to the Chargers because you talked about what they're selling there. Are the Chargers selling at all when it comes to their suites for what will be their half of the games in the new stadium? Well, they're getting packaged in. They're trying to do... You know, the way the Giants and the Jets did it when they split their stadium is they both were responsible for their own sales. And right. you can imagine, anybody could guess who outsold the other one, right? The Giants outsold the Jets, 2-1, right. to 3-1 to one exactly. level. Um, right. You know, the Jets do fine. It's a major market, but nowhere close to as well as the Giants do. This is that on steroids. The Chargers have already cut their prices <laughs> by over 50%. Uh, they've cut the PSLs. You don't need to sign up. So you don't have to pay the personal seat license anymore, which is the right to buy your season ticket. There are a lot of rumors floating around that, you know, they're actually going to move the team, quote-unquote. I I just can't believe the NFL would do that in this short period of time already. But they're not selling out a 26,000-person stadium. There's no way they're selling out the 78,000 people that they're going to put in the new L.A. stadium. So, I don't know. I I don't know. Goodell's got to earn his $45 million a year and figure out what he's going to do because we are two, maybe three years away from a Charger home game having, you know, 40,000 people in the stands. What, you know, let's get to the rumor part of it because what the heck, that's fun. Uh, Where would they be rumored to go to? London. I mean, the obvious choice for London is the Jaguars because the owner... Uh, also owns Fulham, the soccer team, and that's they right. just got promoted to the EPL. He put a bid in on Wembley. That's probably going to happen. You know, he's got a footprint there. They, they make sense to go there. But, I mean, the NFL is going to need to do something with the Chargers. And that's really the only thing left for them to do. People have said, what about Oakland? Well, the, Ra- the Raiders aren't even going to be playing in Oakland next year. The rumor is they're going to be playing uh, at uh, AT&T Park or whatever they're calling it now, Oracle Park. I'm sorry, they changed the name where the San Francisco Giants played. Now it's called Oracle Park. So they're going to be playing there next year, is the rumor. They're either going to play there or they're going to share Levi Stadium with the San Francisco 49ers. So you've got the NFL who's just killing it. I mean, have 53 million viewers for the Chiefs and Patriots because you have these haves and these have-nots. It's kind of like we were just talking about with college football where the NFL is looking at these teams and they just they can't get traction. Right? The Chargers have no traction. The Jaguars have no traction, but they have to do something with them because – you know, you got to have somebody for the Chiefs to play. you got to have somebody for the Patriots to play. We're in an interesting spot right now with what some would call an hourglass economy, where the upper level is doing extremely well, mm-hmm. there's money that's filtered, you know, and the lower level, and then there's the middle. Does that affect how corporate partners look at things right now because 19 is an interesting year that can go either way economically? Or, or does sports blunt that? No, you know, what's happening on the team side, there's always going to be the super halves, right, which, you know, a couple of teams that are, you know, generational teams that are going to break the norms, like the Golden State Warriors, and you know, teams like sure. that. There's, there's only a handful of those. What's happening at the rest of the teams is two things. One, term lengths are getting much shorter, which is why when you look at the, at the Rams and see that they're selling 20-year suites, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it shows that there are there is corporate support for the team. Most other places where you used to be able to buy a suite only with a five and ten year commitment, you're down to one. I was at to lunch with an NFL team about a month ago who is a top five NFL team. I'm not going to sell them out, but major city, a top five city 
you know, when you're saying these are the, the five biggest teams in the NFL, this is one of them. They have 26 open suites out of the 130 that they have. Just five years ago, they had 130 sold, and all of them had wait, wait lists on them. Now they have 26 open. They used to do five- and ten-year deals open. Now they only do one-year deals, and you can even buy a partial suite. So that's what's happened in that market is that the buying power has moved to the corporate partner because the corporate partner can now start to dictate those terms. So that's the number one thing we're seeing happening. The other thing we're starting to see happen is the mega sponsors are starting to flex their muscle. So Anheuser-Busch last year announced a performance-based sponsorship model. So they went to their teams and said, listen, we will pay you X, but if you make the playoffs, you'll get Y. And it wasn't that well publicized until it really came up at the end of the basketball season last year, where if the Timberwolves got in the playoffs, there was a 20% kicker in their sponsorship deal. And these are big deals. These are anywhere from a million to $10 million a year, sometimes higher. And if they won that game, they got the kicker from Anheuser-Busch, and they won the game and they got in. Meanwhile, Miller just dropped the naming rights deal for uh, Miller Park, where the Milwaukee Brewers play. So, right, I saw that. It's, you know, and it's happening across the board. AT&T just dropped the rights to AT&T Park. That's now going to be Oracle Park, which means Oracle's probably going to drop the rights on the Warriors' old stadium when the Warriors move to Chase. So it looks like it's just musical chairs. Like, well, okay, Miller left, and now American Family's in. But American Family, I can guarantee you, is paying less on a shorter term with more out clauses because that's what's been happening with this. There's just more choice for the companies. Ah, uh, Tony, thanks so much. Always fascinating. Tony Knopp. On the business of sports. All right, tonight, Penn State basketball. There's no Shikalimi wrestling tonight because school is closed. And even though Penn State uh, closed down today, it's reopening at 6 this evening. But that wouldn't have mattered anyway. Michigan's here, TV's here, so they're going to play the game tonight. 8.30 will be the tip-off tonight. We're on beginning at 8 o'clock. Nittany Lions at number 6 Michigan in the Jordan Center. Talk to you then. Our show today brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK.